Welcome to Marketing Mambo with your host, Terry McDougall. It's the fun and fast podcast where we cha-cha-chat with marketing movers and shakers from around the globe. Everybody, it's Terry with Marketing Mambo, and I am honored today to have a very special guest with us. He's the author of a book called Your Journey to Becoming a Great Change Leader, and his name is Tim Sparks. He is the founding CEO of Blue Ridge HR, and he's located in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. Tim, welcome to Marketing Mambo. Well, thank you, Terry. I appreciate you having me. It's a great honor to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. And certainly, how to be a great change leader couldn't be more relevant with the times that we're living through right now. So I'd love it if you'd provide us a little bit more color about what you do at at Blue Ridge HR. Sure. Well, just to give you a little background about my history and where I came from, I've been in the HR profession, human resources, for about 20 years now. And before that, I was a teacher and principal. And so when I left education, it just kind of seemed like a seamless transition into HR because uh, I tell people all the time, my goal as an HR professional and as a teacher has always been the same, and that's to help others achieve their greatest potential. So now as the founding CEO of Blue Ridge HR, that's my goal as well, to help people achieve their potential and I do a lot of public speaking, both virtually and in person. I do a lot of workshops for leadership groups, things like that. And I kind of got into the public speaking arena when I was working with a prior Fortune 500 company. I was tapped to create their mentoring program. And we created a a really robust program that was a game changer for the organization. And word kind of got out about the program. And so I started getting these invitations, people saying, hey, can you come to our organization? Can you come speak at this conference? Can you come teach us how to build an effective mentoring program? And so that's really how I got started in all this. And friends would tell me that if you really want to get into the speaking arena, you you have to write a book. I actually had one lawyer friend of mine say, it doesn't even have to be a good book. You just have to write a book. (laughs) Hopefully my book is good. But one of the programs that I helped create at that Fortune 500 company was a change management program. And the one thing I learned in creating that program was that change management as a kind of a hot topic has been around for about 25, 26 years. And ever since it really got started, the the focus has always been on the process side of change, you know, the thing that's actually changing. And I took a different approach writing the book and teaching and speaking on change leadership, viewing it from the people side of change. And leaders need to understand that change is emotional. Change can be a very emotional event for people. As a matter of fact, we talk about the the stages of grief that were developed back in the 1960s for how people process the death of a loved one. And when people experience great times of change, they kind of go through that same cycle of grief. And so leaders need to understand how to go through those cycles and prepare people for change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that what you're doing is really great and very much needed. You're probably familiar with the pro-sci ad car model of change. I am. 
Yep. That's something that one of my clients who was a change management consultant introduced me to ADCAR, which stands, I know that you know this, but just for our listeners, the acronym that stands for Acknowledgement, Desire, Knowledge, Ability, and Reinforcement. And the thing that I really loved about having that as a model was that as a marketer and trying to pitch ideas within organizations where I worked or lead change, I mean, it was often very involved in communications around mergers Mm -hmm. or something like that, restructuring those kind of changes that a lot of time get people's defenses up is that just instinctively, I always thought, let's go to where people are and try to see things from their perspective and bring them along. I I wish that I had the ad car lens to kind of look through. But the thing that I love about it is that if somebody has not progressed to the next stage, because my understanding is that you sort of have to go through these one step at a time, you have to acknowledge that a chain is needed. You have to recognize that there's something in it for you. So you'll desire mm-hmm. to make the change. And then you have to know how to do it. You have to have the ability. So maybe training, and then it's got to be reinforced till it becomes habit. That a lot of times people are left behind at a stage. Like we might start trying to train people before they even understand why the change is needed. Right. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see organizations make? Well, I think the biggest mistake organizations make is uh, failure to plan. So they come up with this change initiative. They see the end desire or the end goal, the end state that they want to achieve, but they don't put together a roadmap of how to get there. It's just kind of a fly by the seat of your pants here's what we want to do, make it happen kind of thing. Having a great communication plan, putting together training and development so that everything is aligned. Uh, A lot of times organizations will change for the wrong reason. They'll change because their competitor changed or it's the cookie cutter desire to be like everybody else. And so it's not tailored to the organization. And the statistic that is mind boggling to me is that 70% of all change initiatives fail. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, I said, we've been kind of down this change management path for about 25 years. 25 years ago, they started survey groups and studies to determine the effectiveness of change management change initiatives. And they found 70% of the initiatives failed. Well, here we are 25 years later, we're still doing these studies and still doing these survey groups. And we're still finding that 70% of all change initiatives fail. So there's a lot of different reasons for that. And and I go into my book about some of the reasons why companies fail when it comes to change. But I really think that it's because they don't approach it from a people perspective, a people focus, and they don't put together a good plan prior to kicking off this change initiative. And there's got to be a lot of things in place in your organization before you can really expect people to jump on board. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having worked in financial services for more than 20 years and having been through a number of mergers where tremendous change is required by everybody, right? It's kind of funny to think about it because in the beginning, when I was a neophyte, (laughs) our first instinct is just to resist. 
and to say, yeah. well, I, I like things the way they are. I don't understand. Why do we have to change? Right. But then as time goes on, you start to recognize, okay, there's reasons for this. And to your point, when companies do a good job of planning, they do take everybody through each of those steps. They have a nice communication plan. They have the frequently asked questions documents. They may put ambassadors in place. Yeah, change champions or ambassadors. Yeah, yeah. to help people make it through that transition. Because to your point, if the C-suite makes it across the finish line and everybody else is way back at the starting line, we can't call that a success. No, absolutely not. And to your point, communication, again, can't be a cookie cutter, one size fits all communication piece. I mean, you've got to use multiple platforms. You've got to use multiple mediums for your communication. So just sending out the same email a hundred times is not communicating. People learn differently. People want to receive information differently and good leaders, great leaders know the difference and know their people well enough to know how to communicate with them to, to drive a message home. And I wanted to go back to something you said that reminded me, one of the myths that I kind of debunk in my book is the myth that people hate change, Mm -hmm. right? I've heard that so many times. As a matter of fact, when I speak, I, I often ask, why do change initiatives fail? Well, people just hate change. And so usually at that point, I ask them to take out their smartphones and pass them to the aisle and I'll collect them because obviously you don't like change. So, and of course, nobody's willing to give up their smartphone, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We walk more than 10 feet away from our cell phone. We break into a cold sweat, but it's not change that people hate. It's the process of change that people dislike. And usually it's because over the years, all the number of change initiatives that have gone through the process side of change has really been handled incorrectly or done wrong. And so kind of like trying to walk through mud kind of thing. You've been through this before. It's been a disaster before. So people are resistant. And like you said, they kind of put up that wall when the announcement comes that we're going to change. So we've got to get the process side of change right so that we can develop our organization into a much more agile culture of change within our organizations. I actually really like change, but I also worked in an area of the organization working in marketing is about constant change. Like we're monitoring what do we need to do different and better, but not everybody's like that, right? I think that probably what people don't like is the uncertainty. And I think that probably what your book addresses is as a leader, how do you make it safe for people to follow you and believe that the goal that you want to reach with the change is attainable and that you're not going to like start walking through this quagmire and get stuck in the middle of it and then just have to backtrack back to where you were to begin with? Right. And like I said, there's got to be so many things in place in your organization before you can ever hope to expect a successful outcome when it comes to change. And probably the very foundation of that, and the first thing we talk about in my book after we talk about why companies fail is about building the right culture in your organization. Culture, as far as I'm concerned, is the biggest thing that impacts everything we do as an organization. You probably have heard the quote from Peter Drucker that said, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Culture is the foundational 
If you think of the business pyramid, culture is the foundation that you have to build before you can build anything on top of that. And the first part of culture that you need to build is that culture of trust. And we talk in the book about how to build that culture of trust, because let's face it, if your people don't trust you, uh, and it's not maybe that they distrust you, but they haven't built a level of trust with your leadership yet to move mountains with you and to walk through that quagmire like we talked about. So that building a culture of trust is so key to set the foundation for a good change leadership initiative. Well, I think everybody wants to be safe. And really, when you're asking people to change, you're asking them to move from an area where they have some certainty Yep. You know, I mean, whether it's realistic or not, I think that the thing that I think is very interesting about change is that a lot of times change is necessary. If you're in a situation where you're in a really competitive environment, we need to evolve to be able to compete. Right. And if we don't change, things are actually going to get worse. Yeah. If you don't change, not only will you not take your organization to the next level, but like you said, you're not going to compete. You're going to lose market share and eventually become irrelevant. I give the illustration of Kodak in my Mm -hmm. book. Kodak really lost its business share because they didn't embrace digital photography. Mm -hmm. They were king of the hill when it came to film photography, right? So they didn't want to change. They didn't want to stray from the formula or the recipe that brought them their original Mm -hmm. success. Yeah. The funny thing is though, guess who invented digital photography? Kodak. It was Kodak. (laughs) And they decided, you know what, we're just going to put this on the shelf. They forbid everybody to talk about it. They didn't want to disrupt the apple cart. And so they just put it on a shelf. And of course, they couldn't hide it forever. Eventually, digital photography uh, became the wave of the future and Kodak got left behind. Yeah, yeah. So it's so interesting. Well, so let's talk a bit about what leaders need to do to be better change leaders. Okay. Well, like we said, the first and foundational piece is to build that culture of trust. Mm -hmm. And there's a great neuroscience behind trust too, because when humans and animals feel safe in their environment, their brain secretes a chemical that tells them that they can feel safe in that environment. And so there's a lot of things that leaders can do, obviously, to help build that culture of trust within their organization. And some of the things are extremely simple, like just doing what you say you're going to do under commit and over deliver is my mantra. Don't make promises you can't keep, but fulfill the promises that you do make and make sure that you're giving people the right perspective of who you are. Uh, And what I mean by that is, have you ever had a leader or maybe reported to a manager and You never really knew which person they were going to be on any given day. One day they could be just the sweetest, kindest person in the world. And then the next day they're just this raving lunatic. And so consistency in how you treat people and how you respond in circumstances and things like that also goes to build trust. And there's a lot of different ways to build trust. Leaders can also learn how to be good change leaders. There's a difference between being a great leader and being a great change leader. Because again, change is kind of a unique recipe that leaders have to be good in certain areas to really help their people get through times of change. And so develop the change leader model, which talk about several things. The first thing is change readiness. And it's so important, like we said, to 
prepare your people for change. And part of that readiness is to determine whether you as the leader are actually ready for the change. Every time we get in an airplane before we take off, the flight attendants talk about the safety procedures and what do they always tell us? When in the event of depressurization, that oxygen mask falls from the cabin above you and what do they always tell you? take care of yourself first and then help those around you. And that's a great principle for a lot of things. But as a change leader, you have to know that you are ready for change before you can lead others through times of change as well. We talk about communication and the importance of building a great communication plan and knowing how to communicate and knowing your people well enough to know how they want to be communicated with. Developing a a learning culture where learning is part of the organization so that when things do change, and one of the things I've learned that when change is announced, a lot of people become unsettled because they don't know whether or not they have the skills necessary to be successful in the new state, right? Mm -hmm. But if your organization has a great learning culture, people feel much safer in times of change because they know that if they don't have the skills necessary, that the organization is going to teach them. Mm -hmm. They're going to develop them into that role. And so training and development is so critical in that piece as well. And, you know, there's tons of other things that we could talk about. But yeah, yeah, I mean, all of that is just like so great to think about. And in my experience, I did a lot of events and lots of large campaigns that really just start with a problem. And then you come up with a a strategy and then a plan to -hmm. address it, right? But it just starts as an idea, but then you have to make it all happen. And I always said like, well-planned is well-executed, right? And my observation is that when things don't work and when change doesn't work, it's because steps were skipped. Somebody thought, oh, the fastest way is just to jump off the cliff rather than like maybe building a road to get down to the valley. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, that's a quick way to do it. It's not really an effective way to do it. Right. Yeah. What do you think the biggest issues are around the 70% of change management initiatives that fail? Why is that? Yeah, I I think there's a lot of different reasons why companies fail when it comes to change. Like I said, a, a lot of companies overlook the people side. Richard Branson of Virgin Enterprises had a a great quote about employees versus customers. And he said, if you take care of your employees, they'll take care of your customers. So when we focus on our people, when we focus on their growth and development and building their trust and providing for their needs and treating them like human beings versus just a cog in the wheel of the big machine, if we can do that, then our people are going to take care of us. It's not a matter of having a whip in a chair and driving people to do things. It's about treating people with respect and acting with integrity to get people on board and trust you so that when you communicate the direction of the organization, that your people are are on board, they're enthusiastic and excited to follow you as opposed to being that pessimistic uh, person who just kind of sits back and waits for something to fail. 
the resistor that you're dragging like a ball and chain towards the goal. And I think that's very much understandable. And certainly I've seen this a number of times where some big changes sprung on people and naturally we feel resistant because we don't know anything about it. Yeah. We don't understand why. Why is it happening? What's the benefit of the change for me as an employee? And I really think that what you're talking about is the trust goes both ways also. The leaders want to engender the trust of the employees, but also trusting the employees that if they're clear as a leader, and like you said, if you've created a culture where there's trust and there's belief that they're going to be taken care of, that you can trust the employees to come along on the journey and also bring their great ideas and their effort to make this vision a reality for the organization. Yeah. And we have to allow people to fail too. A lot of times leaders are so quick to pull out that disciplinary action every time somebody makes a mistake. And so there's an old Farsight cartoon that I absolutely love where the farmer's going out into the hen house to, to look for Thanksgiving dinner. He's got an ax in one hand and he's saying, gee, who should I pick today? And all the chickens got their heads scrunched down in the crowd, except for one long neck chicken who's got his head way up. And if we berate people and just are quick to jump on people for making mistakes, then it really kills the innovative spirit within people. Because then what we've taught them is just keep your head down, just do what you're told to do. Don't do anything above and beyond, because if you do and make a mistake, it's going to cost you. And I really think that leaders uh, in organizations do themselves a disservice by being quick to that disciplinary action. We need to allow people to fail, especially in areas where if they make a mistake, but they're doing it to help a customer, if they're doing it to drive the company forward, that's one thing. If they made a mistake just because they're lazy or just because they didn't pay attention to detail and didn't do what they were supposed to do, that's a different story. But allow people to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes so that we can push that envelope and become an innovative organization as well. Yeah, that goes back to what you were saying earlier about when people and animals both can relax, that they're open, they can be more receptive to learning. Right. right. But if we're always for those chickens in the hen house, keeping our head down for fear that we're going to get our head chopped off, that's survival mode. Right. Exactly. All of our energy is going to looking for the threats and hiding in the cave or being ready for the saber toothed tiger that's going to attack us. There's no energy that's left for innovating or connecting or right. communicating or coming up with the next great idea. So Yeah. And so now you have an organization full of employees that are really only there to clock in, do the least amount of the work necessary to stay out of trouble and then clock out and go home. There's no engagement. There's no excitement about the roles. And so you're really limiting your people to subjugate role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to think of it as When you're dealing with people in in that type of environment, a lot of leaders, I don't even know if I would call them leaders, uh, (laughs) because I don't believe they're not leading, they're coercing people into compliance Mm -hmm. versus empowering people and inviting them to follow them to a better place. Yeah. So you had mentioned earlier about 
recruiting change champions or change ambassadors. And one of the things I advise leaders to do is when you're looking for those change ambassadors for your change initiative, to seek out those that are the biggest resistors and the biggest naysayers and the most vocal against what you want to do. Because if you can turn them, if you can understand their frame of reference and where they're coming from and understand why they're resisting and then give them the assurance that it's different than maybe previous experiences they've had in the past. And if you can win them over to your side, then you have the most powerful change ambassadors you could ever ask for, because now they're going to be equally as vocal on the plus side as they were on the negative side. And now when they talk to their colleagues and coworkers and they can say, yeah, I used to think that too, but now I understand. And this is how I see it. And and they can be a great change ambassador for your cause. And so I always tell people, go for those biggest detractors and biggest resistors. The squeaky wheels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so funny that you say that because I found when I was a marketing director, I had a lot of stakeholders and partners in the organization that I needed to work with. And there were squeaky wheels that had a lot of complaints and it would be very easy to ignore them. And I know that for some people, they probably would ignore them because these people were a pain to deal with. But I also found to your point that when you engaged, very often they were uncovering real issues. right? And if I could approach them, seek to understand what the issue was and look for a solution for that, a lot of times my biggest innovations came out of understanding things from their perspective. And I think that in change management, it's probably very important to hear out those naysayers as well, because sometimes they know things that maybe we're not seeing from the head of the pack. Right. Like there's a real issue that needs to be addressed before the change can happen. And when we address that and then they get on board and then I, I always said those squeaky wheels made me look brilliant because a lot of times if I could solve that problem, I could go and sell it around the organization and people are like, wow, that Terry's so smart. It was just (laughs) that I was willing to get yelled at and listen to what people's issues were. And once I was able to solve that, it really uncovered opportunities. Yeah. Many times we hear these resistors, the squeaky wheel, as you put it, and we we're quick to label them as a troublemaker. And then we just dismiss them out of hand instead of listening to them and listening to their perspective. And a lot of times when change plans and change initiatives are developed at the C-suite level or from top leadership and they're just filtered down through the organization, the frontline employees then see that as just this directive from the ivory tower coming from people that haven't worked on the front lines in years or decades and have no idea really what goes on in the real world in the organization. And so there's no buy-in, there's no engagement in that because they were never asked to be part of the solution. Yeah, it goes back to that trust that you brought up earlier. And that's such a great point. So thanks, Tim. Yeah, so I really love that. Well, so how long has your book been out? Only a few months. came out about the first of the year. Yeah. And where can people find it? They can find the paperback version on my website, which is blueridgehr.com. Click on the shop tab and there's all kinds of goodies there for you. And if you want the Kindle version, uh, that's available on Amazon. Okay, great. And tell the listeners the name of the book again. 
Sure. The name of the book is Your Journey to Becoming a Great Change Leader, and it was published by Transform International Publishing. Okay, great. That sounds like the perfect publishing company for you. (laughs) Yeah, worked out well, didn't it? Yeah. And so where can people find you, Tim? They can find me on my website at blueridgehr.com. They can email me at tim at blueridgehr.com. And I want to give something special to your listeners too. So for the first 10 people that email me, you have your choice of either a free book, I'll send you a free book, or I'll give you a promo code for a free 30-minute consulting session with me. Wow, that's so generous of you, Tim. And who typically benefits from working with you? My niche is middle management and above. And one of the things I talk about in my book is that I don't care what title you hold or what position you have in in your organization. If you want to be a leader, you have to act like a leader. And if you can demonstrate the ability to lead people through times of change, it's almost like getting handed a blank check because organizations will pick up on that real quickly. And if your organization doesn't acknowledge it and recognize it, somebody else will. So if somebody who's just an aspiring leader who wants to learn how to be a great change leader wants to get in on that also, then I'm happy to spend some time with them as well. Well, that is a very generous offer, Tim, and I really appreciate you offering that to my listeners. Sure. So any last words of wisdom before we close out this episode? I think it's leadership as a whole. And the funny thing, I I talk about the difference between leaders and managers. And so many times we're fed this notion that one is better than the other. Uh, And that's not true because we need both. We need great leaders. We need great managers because leaders are the visionaries that have these great ideas and great perspectives of where they want to take the organization, but they're terrible at making it happen. The managers are the ones that are in the trenches doing the work and putting that roadmap into place. So I think if you want to be a great leader, it's all about building relationships and treating people like human beings. It really, in a nutshell, all boils down to that. That is some really valuable wisdom, and I appreciate you sharing it. And I can't wait to read your book. I know mine is on its way. So thanks so much. Tim, thanks for joining us today on Marketing Mambo. Uh, My pleasure. Glad to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Mambo. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, like, and share. I'd love to hear from you. Check out the show notes for my social media and contact information. Until next time, adios.